Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We spent three months of Sundays studying 1 Corinthians, and we will now go ahead and begin to look at Paul's second letter to the believers in the city of Corinth. And here in verse 1, he starts it out by greeting them, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now let's stop there for a moment, uh, because I find it interesting that Paul points out here that his calling is by the will of God. We talked about this back when we studied 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But the fact of the matter was that ever since Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, there was always somewhat of a cloud of suspicion over his ministry in one way, shape, or form. Before his conversion, he was, of course, not known as Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, like we see here. Instead, he was known as Saul of Tarsus, a, a tent maker, a Pharisee, a persecutor of Christians. So as he came into his ministry, he was not often well-received, and he was often challenged as a valid apostle of Jesus Christ. And you know, I can't help but relate uh, this to modern-day followers of Jesus Christ like you and me when we have surrendered our lives completely to Jesus Christ. I've said this before, but the world don't love you when you leave it behind. And of course, when I say the world, I'm talking about that way of life that you leave behind when you are born again. Let's mark this page and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 17. The Gospel of John, chapter 17. And here in these verses, we'll see that Jesus is praying to the Father. And we're going to go ahead and pick it up down in verse 12. So John 17, 12. Jesus says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So here we see that Jesus is obviously speaking of his disciples. And of course, Judas was the one that was lost in order that the scripture might be fulfilled. But Jesus continues on in verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So Jesus here is speaking of his followers, and he says that just as he is not of the world, they are not of this world. Jesus had a temporary earthly life. He did not live as if this world was his home because it was not. Heaven was and is his home. And for you and me as his followers today, this very thing still holds true. We are to be not of this world. We have been given God's word just as the disciples were given God's word. So we too now are to be living as citizens of heaven and not 
as citizens of earth. We have died to ourselves and to this world when we came to Christ. And we are to demonstrate this fact in the way that we now live our lives. We don't walk in accordance with the way of the world any longer. We now walk by faith. And when we came to Christ, we expressed this to others around us. One of those outward expressions or one of the ways that we express that we've now come to Christ is by being baptized, right? But we still live in this world, don't we? Jesus continues in verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So we are in the world, but not of the world, right? This worldly system in which we now live is predominantly controlled by Satan. Yes, there is good in this world, and every good and perfect gift comes from above, Scripture tells us. But this fallen world, for the most part, um, is a place where we have been redeemed out of. And Romans 12:2 tells us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You should go and read that scripture and meditate on that scripture when you have a chance. Romans 12, 2. We are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, that's where it all takes place. We are renewed in our minds, right? We, are, we don't think the way we used to think. We don't live the way the rest of the world lives around us. We are to now live in accordance with the Word of God. But there should be a very clear distinction between a follower of Jesus and a non-follower of Jesus. A very, very clear distinction. We should not be living as if we are of this world. And Jesus continues speaking here in verse 16, and he says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So he repeated that fact there, didn't he? And then in verse 17, he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So in reality, the only way that we can know how to live as modern-day followers of Jesus Christ is by being sanctified or being made clean by the Word of God. That is why we should study the Bible often, as we are doing here this morning. Why do we spend so much time going through Scriptures? Why is it that I take you from Scripture to Scripture? Well, it's because the Word of God sanctifies us. So Paul, the apostle, he was not accepted by those that he left behind in the world. And not only that, though, the other Christians were a bit leery about him as well. And we see a couple of times between 1st and 2nd Corinthians that Paul's integrity as an apostle was questioned. But Paul, he pressed on in his calling. He didn't let anyone stop him from living out what the Lord Jesus Christ had called him to do, and nor should we.
You know, in many ways, when you step out by faith to begin to serve the Lord in a different direction and you know, than, than what you have been going, there will be attacks. Satan don't want you doing it. He don't want you fulfilling God's call for your life. So he puts things on people's minds and maybe they'll attack you in one way, shape, or form. But you must stand firm in the fact that it is Jesus Christ who has redeemed you. It is Jesus Christ who you have surrendered your life to. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that you serve. And you must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness as his word instructs us to do. In other words, make that your top priority, that you are serving Jesus with all your heart, that you're loving God with all your soul, mind, and strength. And as we turn back to 2 Corinthians, so Paul states this fact, And so we know, of course, this letter was written from Paul, but we also see in verse 1 of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that it came from Timothy as well, because it continues on here in verse 1 and says, And Timothy, our brother, to the church of God which is at Cornman, with all the saints who are at Ikea. Okay, now Ikea or Maybe I'm mispronouncing that. You can look that up on your own. I've heard it pronounced a couple different ways. I'm pretty sure that's pretty close. Uh, but uh, it was a Roman province. It was comprised of all of Greece to the south of Macedonia. And Paul goes on to greet them here in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So here we have a wonderful insight from the Word of God as to a characteristic of God the Father. Now, obviously, all the characteristics of God the Father could never be comprehended by our finite minds, right? So it's a precious nugget when we find something in Scripture that helps us understand even just a little bit about our Father God. And there in verse 3, it says that He is the Father of mercies. And that word mercies means compassion and pity. That's the kind of God we serve. And we are so blessed that that's how our Heavenly Father looks upon us. Because each and every one of us needs the compassion and the pity of God in so many ways. I know I, for one, am very pitiful. (laughs) And I need God on a daily basis. But remember... We have not earned that compassion and pity. And therefore, it came to us how? It came to us by grace because God is love. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's all, it's all because of him. It's all because of his grace. And he has looked upon this world of ungodly people and just loved us. 
And he did so again, how? By giving us his only begotten son to die for us, to redeem us from sin, to redeem us from death, and to give us hope everlasting in Jesus Christ. But you know, there's something else we see there in verse 3 about the Father God, and that is that he is the God of all comfort. And that word comfort there means a calling near and an encouragement. Think about that. That's what God is. He wants to call us near to him, and he wants to encourage us. The Greek word used for comfort is the word paraklesis, okay? Which is a form of the word used for the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. And he was sent down by our Lord God after his ascension back into heaven, right? So God the Holy Spirit indwells us and comforts us in all of our trials so that we can in turn do the same for others through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the key for you and me today. We are not to suppress the comfort of God that comes through His Holy Spirit, but rather we are to distribute that comfort out to others. We must be active in God's Spirit. Otherwise, if we do smother the Holy Spirit, not only will we dry up, but we will have no impact at all on the world around us. You see, we can't just gather to receive comfort from God because God has given us the, the ministry of reconciliation that we should make His comfort and mercy known to others. But here in these verses, we see that God has compassion and pity on us, and he draws us near to him, and he encourages us. And when others look at us, that's what they should see as well. But you know, God will often use trials to accomplish his comfort in our lives and in the lives of others. Look at verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. So Paul is testifying of something here. He's giving a very real example, and he's saying, just as Christ suffered, we are comfort, comforted as a result. Our trials are used by God to help to comfort others. Now, I know that I've seen a couple families in our fellowship go through very great trials. And those trials have, in a way, been a source of comfort for me because even as hard as those trials are, I've seen God get these people through it time and time again. And that has encouraged my faith greatly. But we are to be that kind of example to the world around us, showing them that, hey, this place is not our home. Our hope is in the Lord. This life is but a vapor. We're just passing through. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus, and we have hope. We have peace. We have joy, all in 
Jesus Christ. And verse 6 continues, Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. So Paul here, along with Timothy and some others, are they're out spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And they are establishing fellowships in many cities and in many homes. And while doing so, they are suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. But the body of believers in Corinth and the fellowships in other cities were beneficiaries of their suffering because the gospel was going forth. Their suffering was producing consolation and salvation in the lives of many others. And in the ministry that the Lord has given me, I have been attacked by others on a few different occasions. On one of those occasions, I had been scheduled to minister with a group in California. And when this particular attack came upon our ministry, it totally changed our plans, the course we had set for that week. So instead of ministering in one place to a group of already churched people, that's where we were going when we were going to California. Instead, I was asked to come to speak to a group of unsaved high school kids in a park. And there was a young lady that was sharing her faith in her high school, and several kids were being impacted by her faith. And uh, her family had asked me to come and show up at a park and share the gospel with these kids. Well, on that day, about a, a dozen kids came to faith in Jesus Christ. But the point of all this is, is that God can use our trials for His glory. It may not seem beneficial to us at the time, but God comforts us in the midst of those trials and will then often use us to comfort others. So often we see salvations take place at funerals, don't we? Christian funerals, that is. You know, I have personally experienced that there are more salvations that take place at funerals than Christian music concerts and Sunday services for that matter. You see, the world needs the mercy, the comfort, and the encouragement of God. But they will really only see that through our lives as they watch us press on by faith in the things that we go through. Think about your own faith in Jesus. I'm sure there was someone that influenced you in one way or another because the work of the Holy Spirit was evident in their lives. Paul continues in verse 7 and says, And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. So Paul understands something here. He understands that when you suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, 
the good news is that you come to know the mercy and comfort of God the Father. And that is what he is communicating to the Corinthians here. So there is blessing in trials because consolation comes. And in the end, when you go through that trial, you're, you're left with a, a deeper, more personal knowledge of the God of mercy and the God of comfort. From a personal standpoint, I can now say that if trials are what it takes to know God's presence like I've come to know it, then in the end, it's all worth it. It's not enjoyable, but it's worth it. In verse 8 here, Paul now informs the Corinthians of what himself, Timothy, and their group faced when they were in Asia. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in our lives, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So this trouble that they had was so severe that they had no hope in themselves that they were going to escape it. It was so distressful that they didn't even want to live anymore. And, and still, many people get these same feelings when difficult times come, don't we? It seems like you're at the end of the road. Maybe you want to keep living, right? But it just seems like, man, this is it. How are we going to get out of this? How am I going to get out of this situation? This has got to be the end. What's going on, God? You know, we, we feel like this when the weight of this world comes crashing down on us, right? But Paul says there at the end of verse 9 and on into verse 10 that they've learned through it all to trust in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. So the sentence of death was upon them. They were at the end of their life, you know. Again, I equate that to, to some people today who, who might feel like, well, they don't want to live anymore. But no, for Paul, I mean, this was it. They had the sentence of death upon them, but God delivered them. So Paul displays three facts, though, about God. He says that God has delivered them, right, does deliver them, and will in the future deliver them. This reminds me of Jesus, the one who was and is and is to come, right? He's washed away the sin of our past, hasn't he? He's with us in the present isn't he? And we will see him in the future face to face, won't we? And as it pertains to this life that we now live in this flesh, we have had trials, haven't we? We will have trials, won't we? And we'll have still more trials. <laughs> Isn't that just a ball of encouragement for you this morning? No, I understand that trials are difficult. I understand completely. But I also understand that the God of all comfort comforts us. He draws us near. He holds us close. 
and he just wants us to press on and keep trusting in him. Sometimes we go through difficult situations in life or difficult time periods, seasons, if you will, where it just seems so long and so drawn out and you feel alone and your world around you has fallen apart, but you're never alone. God is with you. And you can turn to Him, you can call out to Him in prayer, and and more specifically, I would encourage you to draw near to Him in His Word. Dive deeper into His Word. Read it, study it, listen to, to good Bible teachings. Right? But we all really need to lift one another up, don't we? And we need to lift one another up in prayer when, when we know the situations. And don't be afraid to share the situations in life that you go through with others so that they can encourage you and pray for you. And who knows what doors God can open through that. And Paul, in verse 11 here, says, You also helping together in prayer for us. So he knew they were helping him in that way. He says that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf behalf for the gift granted to us through many. So you see, prayer is powerful. Prayer is spiritual. You know, whenever someone pops into my mind, you know, in a kind of in a strange way, of course, people cross your mind all the time. But if someone just pops into your mind, I've made a habit of saying a quick prayer for that person. Or maybe picking up the phone at that time and calling them and say, hey, how's it going? Because we all need a prayer covering. Because the word of God right here in verse 11 tells us that prayer helps. And verse 12 says, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we conduct ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. Not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. So Paul here is proclaiming that the manner in which they lived, him and Timothy and the others, they had lived in a way that was uh, in simplicity, sincerity, and by the grace of God. Today, many people stand in their own fleshly wisdom too afraid to appear too simplistic. And they want to put themselves on a pedestal above everyone else, and they they don't want people to see their weaknesses. And the result of this is that person is not very sincere, and they become unapproachable, and they become distant, which is the exact opposite of the way of God the Father. He is compassionate. And he draws us near to him to comfort and to encourage us, right? And we need to live our lives with that simplicity. And we need to be open as people of God. That the world around us may see that we're really not holier than thou. We just serve a God who is holier than all. We are weak. He is strong. Right? That's what the world needs to see because that's the truth of the matter. And we don't need to hide behind some veil that says we are all that and then some, right? Because we're not. 
I know I'm not. Apart from God, I can do nothing. I would be nothing. I am nothing, period. See, it's Christ in us that is our hope of glory. It is God alone who comforts us. We have no strength in and of ourselves. Paul dealt with people in a way that he made sure they understood the truth about God. Verse 13 says, For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. So you see, Paul understood that both he and the Corinthians needed to stay strong till the end. They needed to persevere until they saw Jesus face to face. He didn't need to be lifted up in their eyes. He wanted rather to lift up Jesus. He preached Christ and Him crucified. Today, as I am here before you, I have no desire to be lifted up by you in any way, shape, or form. Again, I truly consider myself a wretched man. And if you ever see even just the slightest bit of good in me, please know for sure that it's to God be the glory. My hope is to encourage you to grow in your walk with the Lord Jesus. You see, we will all experience a day of the Lord, as Paul says there in verse 14. In other words, we have a time appointed to us in which we will stand before him. And we're not going to say, Lord, I trusted in my pastor. And I trusted in what he taught me. He was my shepherd and I was accountable to him. See, we're not going to be able to say that because in the end, all that matters is, did you know Jesus in this lifetime? Were you born again? And Paul just wanted to boast in the fact that the Corinthians knew and grew in Jesus. That's my hope for all of you today. And as we move on now and we get into this next section of this chapter, Paul, it, seem, it seems, has, has told the Corinthians in the past, right, that he was going to come and see them, but he did not. So that's what's about to happen here, right? Look at verse 15. And in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by you, uh, to pass by way of you to Macedonia to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. So Paul's plan was to see them on his way to Macedonia and then to see them again on his way back from Macedonia. That's why he says in verse 16, to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you. Then as we get into verse 17 here, it seems that Paul is kind of defending himself on how he made the decision, right? It says, therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I, I plan, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me, there should be yes, yes, and no, no? 
So Paul is pointing out here that the decisions that he makes are not decisions he wants to make according to the flesh. It's not what he says goes. He's saying that he's led by the Spirit. He's not going to make definite decisions based on the desires of his flesh. And that reminds me of some very familiar scriptures in the book of James, right? And I'll just read them to you. James chapter 4. You can turn there if you like. But James chapter 4, famous verses of scripture, starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy, sell, and make profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So do you see that there? Paul's saying, to make your own decisions in the flesh. He wasn't going to be about that. Hey, sometimes God changes things and he leads you in a different way if you're being led by the spirit and others around you may get upset and may get mad at you for for what you have decided but you've got to do what the lord has directed you to do right you need to be careful not to take that whole keeping your word thing too far now what do i mean by that well Let's say that we agree today that I'm going to keep coming here for a year and doing this Bible study with you all, and I will be your pastor for years to come. You can count on me, and I say to you, hey, my yes is yes, and my no is no. Well, that's a fleshly promise right there. But on the other hand, if I preference that by saying, hey, if it is the Lord's will, I will come and do this Bible study here for a year. Well, then we all understand that it's the the Lord that opens doors and closes doors. And, And he's the one that makes it clear what doors we are to walk through. And we need to be obedient to him, to his will. Right? And the same holds true for each one of you. If the Lord calls you to go somewhere else, for a Bible study, or to go somewhere else on Sundays, don't hesitate to be obedient to that calling. Serve the Lord. Love the Lord. Place Him first and do what He wants you to do. Turn to John chapter 3. Go ahead and mark this page. Turn to John chapter 3. Very familiar scripture here in John chapter 3. Verse 8, John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So you see, when a person is led by the Spirit, they are not making decisions based on the flesh anymore. But they are rather, they're now open to the moving of the Holy Spirit in their lives. 
and they're going to go where he sends them and they're going to do what he desires for them to do. And as we turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, But as God is faithful, our, wor- our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. So Paul is emphatically letting them know he's not being a flake because he's pointing them one, he's pointing them back to the one who is yes and is no. The the one who really matters is that they pay attention to God, right? Paul didn't Paul so Paul's pointing out to them, hey, I didn't say I was coming and then just changed my mind for no reason. Because that's not the the way of Jesus. Paul wanted them to follow in the ways of Jesus and not in the ways of Paul. Remember back in 1 Corinthians, we read how they were saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas. And Paul told them, hey, that's carnal behavior. It's not about that. We're not to be followers of men, followers of a religion, followers of a denomination. We are followers of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And if he sends you to a different church, go minister there. If he tells you to stay there, stay there. If he tells you to leave, leave. Right? Verse 20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us in God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So again, Paul is here kind of adjusting their focus back on where it should be. It should be on God. And and he's saying, hey, yeah, God has anointed us. They go out and they preach the gospel. But when they do, they're not drawing people to them. They're drawing people to God. He didn't want people to be followers of his ministry. He wanted people to be followers of Jesus Christ. And in God, we can trust. His yes is yes. His no is no. And it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And we need to keep our eyes focused on God. And and again, how do we do that? By being focused on His Word. How do we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? By studying His Word. Now, for the sake of time here, and in order to keep with the context, I'm going to stop here for today And we're going to save verses 23 and 24 to be studied along with chapter 2 the next time we gather, if it be the Lord's will. Amen? Amen. God bless.